episode of But Where Are You From? It's a podcast hosted by me, Viv Yao. I talk about all sorts. Who knows? Who knows anymore? I just wanted to wish everyone a belated Lunar New Year. Happy Lunar New Year. I had the best celebration yesterday, which consisted of food, food, and more food. So I made homemade noodles, which my mum consulted uh, with me on over FaceTime. Um, I got it completely wrong, though. I had to start again and wasted loads of very expensive dumpling flour. um, And my ancestors were very, very ashamed of me at that current moment. But it turned out all right in the end, and my friends enjoyed them very much. Um, So I had a brilliant celebration, and I hope you all did too. It's also my 30th birthday tomorrow as I'm recording this little intro. Tomorrow, the 14th of February, 1991. So if you are, I mean, tomorrow it's not 1991, it's 2021. I'm 30 years old. So when you listen to this, if you listen to this on the day that it goes live, it's Valentine's Day. I probably should have done a Valentine's Day special, if I'm honest, but I'm single. I don't have any Valentine's Day stories. I'm so sorry. We'll do it another time. We'll do it another time. Anyway, I am turning 30. So if you want to donate to our coffee.com page forward slash be seen, it's now forward slash be seen rather than it's with Yao, then send me a little birthday gift and I'll uh, really appreciate it. I would love that very much. That's all I want for my birthday. It's for people to support the work that BC and are doing, Britain's East and Southeast Asian Network. I would love that very, very much. So yeah, I'm turning 30. How do I feel about that? Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, my life is very, very good. I have a very great life. Um, I'm looking forward to just exploring my identity as a 30-something-year-old. I know when I started the podcast, um, I would introduce myself as a 20-something-year-old woman. 20-something. I can't do that anymore. Today's my last day. Oh my God, I might as well do it. Welcome to But Where Are You From? The podcast of a British-born Chinese millennial in their 20-something-year-old life who talks about life as being British-born Chinese. And now that's the last time I will ever get to say that. But it's okay because I'm turning 30 and that's great. I'm very, very accepting of that. I've never really been worried about age. I remember talking about this on the podcast months and months ago and I remember saying to myself, maybe I'll feel differently when I actually turn 30 But I feel the same. If anything, I'm like, yeah, I'm ready. Bring it. Bring it on. I feel like your 30s are just more like your 20s, but with more confidence and more money and more independence and everything else. So what's not to like? I wanted to jump straight into this episode. I've just come off a live stream that our friend Kim from NanoSounds, who's been on the podcast before, she just hosted a whole Lunar New Year celebration and it was so much fun. It was three hours long and I honestly don't know how she does it because she is so, so talented at like moderating the comments, also chatting with the guests, also making sure that like the screen's all like working and stuff like that. She was just incredible. So if anyone joined, I hope you all enjoyed it. I recognized a few names in there as well. So um, yeah, it was so much fun. So I'm absolutely knackered, but I do have lots of leftovers. So I'm going to have that for dinner. My mum has made also some clam chowder. So I'm just going to have a real mishmash of food. It feels like Boxing Day. I love this feeling. You know, when you've got loads of leftovers in the fridge, it's the best feeling in the world. We have an incredible guest on today. It is Howard Wong, 
from Little Moons Mochi. Now, if you haven't heard of Little Moons Mochi, where have you been? They are a mochi ice cream company who have been making waves recently on TikTok. Their sales went up 700% after they went viral over TikTok. People were just sharing them like crazy. White people who have never heard of mochi ice cream before, never heard of what mochi is, decided to do taste tests, finding them in Tesco's, etc. And they've had like over 106 million views on TikTok alone, which has been incredible. I really like to hear it when you see other British-born, Asian, Chinese, East Asian, Southeast Asian businesses absolutely thriving. It's really amazing to see. I remember discovering Little Moons when I was, yeah, a good few years ago. And I was like, this is interesting. What is this business? And who are they? I remember looking into it and pleasantly surprised to see that it was actually owned by two Chinese people and not Westerners because it's really, really nice to support um, other East Asian businesses. And so I was very, very pleased to see that. And their products are delicious. We talked to Howard about his business, how they got started, working with his sibling, with his sister, also called Vivian as well, and how that has been, the trials and tribulations of working with a sibling, and what they hope for the future, as well as obviously the craze that was the TikTok Little Moons trend. So I really hope you enjoy listening. I found it really insightful just speaking with another business owner who works in like the food space. I thought it was so cool. Um, so if you have any questions, feel free to... Find me on It's Viv Yao on Instagram. And of course, give Little Moons a follow. They are Little Moons Mochi on Instagram. And of course, see whether you can find any mochi sold in Tesco and other retailers. Apparently they're selling out though because of this TikTok craze. So let me know if you manage to get your hands on any. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, Howard. Yeah, sorry, I just can't hear the sirens in the background. <laughs> are you? Where are you based in London? Yeah, I'm based uh, in Westbourne Grove. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Quite near, quite a busy intersection, so there's yeah. like, sirens going around <laughs> by all the time. Oh no, it's the same. we I'm in Manchester, and it's pretty much the same as well. So don't worry about it. Cool. <laughs> it's fine. Thanks for joining. But where are you from? Really, really appreciate, <laughs> appreciate you you jumping on because I know you're very busy. Um, I wanted to start off with a um, tongue-in-cheek question before you introduce yourself. So, so where are you from, Howard? Have you have you, has anyone ever asked you that before? Um, yeah, I get asked it all the time, and um, mm. have had some debates about you know how to answer that. Whether you just say oh, I'm actually just from London, or whether you sort of say, oh, I'm actually, you know, Malaysian Chinese mm. or, or what. Um, I guess everyone wants to know kind of where you're ethnically from. And I actually don't have a problem with saying that, actually. You don't have a problem. So you don't feel like defensive or annoyed or any kind of like. Um, I guess it really depends on who's asking and the way they're asking. Yeah. Um, I, I know sometimes I'm curious to know kind of what someone's heritage is. Mm. Um, but um, I guess. It, you know sometimes I'm tempted just to say London and leave it at that if some if it's like some kind of old person who's you can kind of tell they have something in the mm. back of your mind you'll just say yeah I'm from London and sort of not give them <laughs> what looking for but um yeah. generally I'm, I'm quite relaxed about these things so it doesn't bother me most most of the times I don't think people have bad intentions behind it and you can kind of sense when they do yes totally I think I think it comes down to that intention doesn't it and and even like 
like me as a person of color, I have the same curiosities when it comes to to even people who are who look ethnically Chinese or ethnically Asian. I want to know, like people in my building who I live with, I'm like, oh, I wonder whether they're like um, Chinese like me or they're from the, a different yeah. uh, Asian country. Like it's just a, it's just an innate curiosity that I guess we have about people. Mm. Um, but you're right. I think it comes down to the the intent because I've certainly had both. Like I've been at like say networking events where men ask me those questions, white men ask me those questions. And it's just like, how is this, how is this relevant to the conversation at yeah, all? Usually, yeah. uh, it's usually not, is it? <laughs> yeah. I have a, I have an older sister. He's also co-founder of Little Means. And so yeah. I guess I have some awareness of how things can be quite different as well. When it's like a guy who's, who's potentially half chatting you up, asking these questions. It's a lot, it's a lot different from kind of, I guess, my experience. That's a good point, actually. I think there are intersections when it comes to the gender side of things too. Um, I I get it quite a lot on um, yeah dating apps as well. Like just today, I looked on my Hinge dating app and someone had asked a white man had asked me, "Can you recommend any good takeaways?" And I just think to myself, "Would you have asked me that if I was a white woman? Would you?" But then, like, you can't tell whether it's like weighted with like racial connotations or not because you don't know. Yeah, I hope that wasn't his first line. It was. It was his first line. Um, no, just leave it. It's not worth it. <laughs> it's not worth it at all. It's not worth it. So, so Howard, where where are you from? So you're from London. You're Malaysian Chinese. Yeah. So I'm yeah. born born in London, um, but my parents were uh, a Malaysian Chinese, mm-hmm. and they're originally from Penang. Um, and so, yeah, uh, and you know, obviously, ethnically, sort of Han Chinese, I guess. Mm. And then, how do you? relate to your identity in terms of like your your Malaysian Chinese identity versus versus I guess British like do you do you find that it changes at all your identity um yeah definitely I think um looking back I've sort of gone through various sort of evolutions of my identity and I think when I was um a kid in primary school I remember kind of almost wanting to reject my uh my Chinese heritage and trying to be you know just like every other kid mm. um and I remember like I had an uncle who was quite patriotic and he'd talk about things and I'd argue with him about how great the UK was and everything like that but as I grew older I went to a boys school uh, in North London which was like really ethnically diverse right. uh, so I became really aware of kind of racial identities and how different groups start to hang out with each other um and actually um I grew quite proud of kind of my Chinese um, identity or, or, or kind of ethnicity. Um, and it's a big part of who, who I think I am. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I, I, at university, I, I, I was part of like Abacus Society, which is nice. the Association of British and Chinese University Students. And I've got a lot of friends who are ethnically Chinese or British-born Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's a big part of my identity. Um, even though I think if I moved to... Asia uh you know people might not see me as Chinese but I'm I'm pretty comfortable with my identity as a British-born Chinese person amazing oh I'm really happy to hear that so what's the Abacus Society then what do you have to do to be part of that society um so it stands for the Association of British and Chinese University Students right Uh, it was pretty smart you know Abacus you might think is a bit corny now I'm not sure if it still exists actually because I was at university quite a long time ago Uh, but essentially I think it was um a society that was for kind of more British and Chinese university students. So you obviously mm. have like a society for people from Hong Kong or Malaysia yeah. and Singapore mm. and then for mainland China. Um, and this was kind of a place for people like me, I guess, to sort of mm. find each other, make friends. And 
it was quite social related to be honest so organizing a lot of parties like dinners and events and um yeah just like a normal university society actually you just apply to be on the committee yeah. and get votes um and yeah that's it. It's a lot of fun. Oh my god, that's I wish I had something like that when I was at uni or maybe there was and I didn't seek out for it because I think like even through university I was very very um closed off from British Asian society I guess. I didn't have that kind of sense of wanting to even search for my identity and I think it's only through very, very recently, uh, having discovered more like um, British-born Chinese friends and East and Southeast Asian friends, starting this podcast, doing like advocacy work for um, the communities is when I've started to like seek that out. So I'm quite, I'm quite a late bloomer in that way. It, it makes me envious to hear like your your experience of being from a young age of university of, of really finding your identity um, quite quickly in, in that sense, because I think it differs for a lot of people. Yeah, I think think it can really depend on whereabouts in the country you live and whether there are other sort of Asian people around mm. or just um, what your school's like and how, how how sort of how how much you notice kind of race um, for mm. me I guess I'm lucky in that you know in North London I mean there's never a huge amount of sort of Southeast Asian uh, East Asian people actually um, mm. honest. and um, we don't sort of go to the same uh, well, by and large, we don't go to like the same churches or mosques, so there's no like obvious route to meeting each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is something I've been lucky enough to sort of be aware of from a younger age, I guess. Yeah, that I think that's a really good point actually, because I think um, when it comes to other uh, ethnic groups, they have that I guess religion in in a way to tie them together. And and my I'm, I don't know about you, but my family grew up non-religious. Yeah, for the yeah, for the yeah. most part, um, and I couldn't imagine doing that. My parents dabbled in Christianity for a while, like yeah. in and out, um, but but not particularly in a kind of big way. And I guess like that's where the sense of community comes from. So one could even argue, like, do we even have a community? Like, is there is there such thing as a Chinese or Eastern Southeast Asian community yet? Um, I think that like it, there's no formalized system, so we don't have like you know church leaders or mosque leaders or mm. uh, temple kind of figureheads mm. um and you know there are chinese schools around but not everyone goes to them mm. and um you have like little micro groups i guess so you have like, i guess it's a malaysian singaporean group of people that know each other through friends but it, it's quite separated and i i think that i think what's happened what i've noticed lately with sort of instagram and different groups evolving i think i'm yeah. quite like I'm quite happy to see uh, people finding each other online because it's quite hard to find yeah. groups physically yeah um, and so yeah I've noticed that people are kind of organizing and I've often felt that the Chinese community or East Asian community kind of lacks a kind of a unified voice mm. um, and mm. to make comments when there's sort of racism in society or anything like that so I, it's good that we're making some noise finally yeah, it's it's a it's a double edged sword in a way because obviously the the noise comes from a reaction of all the the COVID racism that we're facing at the moment, and it feels like now there is a real need for it, and it's almost like we're coming into our own consciousness in terms of how how much this is affecting us on a mass global scale. Like this past year has been the first time that I have seen people talk about Asian racism. First time I've talked about. like covid related racism like even between like myself and my sisters we never really discussed it in a in a very 
well in any sort of setting at all and it's um it's a shame but also like you said like with every single type of protest or outrage about something comes these types of like unified organizations like you said um and if it wasn't for instagram and social media in general i wouldn't be connected through the be seen group and other um, organized groups and just communities online which i think is has been my saving grace really i think throughout this entire um lockdown time um, so how how have you felt recently with the the uprising kind of uh, COVID racism? Has it affected you at all personally? Um, I've noticed it around and I'm obviously following groups that, you know, highlight when people have been subjected to racism. And I totally can imagine it being like an increasing problem. Um, personally, I've been quite lucky to not have really directly experienced it. Um, but then, you know, I live in a pretty safe part of London and I just hang out with people I know. Um, but you know, historically, I have you know experienced racist comments on the bus and the mm. pub. Um, I know what kids are like. If you're walking past and you're another kid, they'll say something. So um, I've been lucky enough not to experience it, but um, I can imagine it happening. I mean, there's so much kind of anti uh, kind of China rhetoric in 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 media and politics, um, yeah. even if it's a little bit kind of. Uh, it's not obvious bias, but it, it, to me, it's definitely there. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think there is sort of a bit of anti-Asian sentiment um, <laughs> in the public. Just a bit, <laughs> just yeah. a tiny bit. Yeah, I know. And and it's one of those things where, like, it's so insidious because it is so subtle in a lot of ways. Like the imagery that they use with COVID-related media, like it, it is like for any person who is non-Chinese, I mean, even non-Chinese, even Chinese people or, or East and Southeast Asian people, some, some don't see the problem. Some think it's absolutely fine and, and great. That's great. But actually we're seeing the effects play out in, in terms of the stats of um, hate crime and racial attacks and everything. Um, I'm glad to hear that it's not affected you directly. I, I was also lucky to be in that situation right up until I moved from my like um, cosy suburban home, um, my family home to the city centre in Manchester. And on the very first night that I moved in, a, a guy, um, I was waiting for my delivery and then a guy wound down the window, drove past in the car and just shouted the C word at me and I hadn't heard that word since school pretty much like it wasn't something that I'd encountered for a long long time and it was just like such an example of like yeah this is this is increasing and like I had been so lucky to I obviously I've heard it from the news friends and family have experienced it and it was up until that point I was like oh I am not removed from this at all it could happen to any of us at any time yeah so so in terms of kind of like your identity as being british born chinese then have you visited malaysia much is that part of you that kind of resonates in terms of home at all yeah um actually i don't go back to malaysia very often and i if i'm being honest i don't feel that malaysian um Mm. i don't have you know that much culturally in common with Malaysian uh, Chinese people or anything like that but um, I guess I, st- I have my I guess my identity is more kind of ethnically Chinese and, and for some reason yeah. I, think I get on well with um, international people in general mm. and people who come from immigrant families whether they be um, Indian Pakistani or whatever mm. um, I think you know we have shared experiences um, shared cultural things mm-hmm. so 
Yeah, I, I guess I'm not sure if that answers the question, but um, no, 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 totally. I think there is that kind of like um, sense of you don't even need to explain what it's like to have immigrant parents because there's so many of the, sh- the, like you said, shared experiences. Even across, like when I speak to anyone who is South Asian, like we can joke about things like white people trying. Little Moons for the first time, for example, on TikTok. And um, they get that why it's like, you know, it's novel and and, and why why it's funny almost to, to mm. see that happening. Um, so, yeah, I think um, there, there is that level of like commonality between, between uh, immigrant children or children who are born from immigrant parents. Definitely. I definitely resonate with that a lot. Um, do you want to talk a bit about Little Moons, your business and how it started Sure. Um, well, my parents ran a, a bake, an Asian bakery actually called um, Something, and um, they, you know, they made things like pandan cakes and, and mochi was actually one of the hero skews or hero products that they made. <laughs> I love how you're uh, saying it in they, the internal uh, language of the skews. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's kind of like um, industry book. Um, yeah. And um, Viv and I, my sister, we've yeah. always loved the product, but. Um, mm. We've also known when my mum was encouraging us to sort of bring some mochi to your friends. Uh, we're like, uh, I don't think they're going to like them, mum. So we've <laughs> always known like, you know, red bean filled with red bean paste is mm. a little bit too alien for the mm. Western palate mm. at, at the moment. Um, but, you know, I tried, tried mochi ice cream back, back in the day as a kid and I loved it and I thought I had a lot of opportunity. Um, and I guess, you know, I did economics at uni and I went into finance, you know, like a like a good sort of Asian kid, I kind of wanted to be a banker when I was younger. Um, but I very soon realized that it wasn't that fun. And, right. you know, I was, I felt like there was a lot more creativity and, you know, I'm kind of a jack of all trades, but a master of none. So I thought being an entrepreneur kind of suited that because there's just constant, mm. like, you know, a bit of sales, a bit of marketing, a bit of finance. Yeah. Um, and we just really believed in this kind of opportunity. I think we're quite naive at that point, just thinking, um, that, you know, we could just start a business. Um, that was like 10 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Um, and uh, actually, it's really difficult to build a category. Uh, most people launch like a gourmet, uh, I don't know, like donut or, mm. you know, a vegan something. So something that someone's really familiar with, but just, a you know, a pimped out version of it. Whereas mochi ice cream is just like so alien. So we'd go to loads of food shows. Mm. Um I don't want to be regional regional about this but we'd go to a food show like in Birmingham and you'd have people <laughs> like who normally run B&Bs kind of taste the product and just be like what is this yeah this is really gross and you're just like yeah you're not going to get it there's oh. a long hard slog at the beginning mm. um we had some lucky breaks so one of our early customers was um Yo Sushi which mm. helps get volume mm. and then we also supply um like a Japanese restaurant in London called Nobu which gave us yeah. some we met loads of really amazing chefs who so cool. introduced us to places to get like the best flavors so, so it's really gone from there um, yeah and the last few weeks have just been absolutely mental like it's it's so surreal to see um people eating our products um around the country um, mm. Mm. and not just the Asian community yeah like at large because that's exactly that's exactly what you want almost to break out of the echo chamber because it's all well and good us us talking about mochi we get it we, we you don't you don't need to explain to us what it is like yeah. we we know what it is I grew up with like I guess um my my mom and dad eating it and I was buying it in the Chinese supermarket and stuff like that and so like for us to see this type of representation in a very mainstream way is you know, it means a lot to 
I guess, the Asian community to see this play out in this way. Like, I looked on TikTok uh, before and, like, it was reported that, like, you've had, like, 700% uplift in sales and it was at, like, 19.5 million views. It's gone up to, like, 106.8 million views on TikTok, yeah, your, the hashtag. I, I think that is absolutely incredible. So, you know, hats off to the team. I saw you right on LinkedIn. It was a kind of organic viral thing, but actually everything that you both have done and the team have done up until this point has yeah. led, led to this success. I, I guess like, um, you know, we've been, we've been building this for the last 10 years, getting it into restaurants is where people discover new foods. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we've opened pop-up shops in places like Bond Street, Selfridges, um, Westfield, kind of just getting people introduced to the product mm-hmm. and i guess the last few months with everyone locked down there's very little to get excited about because mm. you can go to the supermarket so it's kind of our lucky break mm. to kind of get everyone excited about this product that's really unusual which is kind of used to be the worst thing i mean the, the challenge with the product and now it's its greatest selling point <laughs> what i found really interesting is um yeah i am quite proud that you know there are not that many asian kind of founders in the food industry yeah um and often people get interviewed and no offense to anyone who has like a an accent you know we're often portrayed as kind of immigrants rather than people that come here mm. so i do mm. feel it's a bit of a responsibility to sort of raise my profile um as someone who's actually you know british born chinese um but what's interesting because i read some of the tiktok comments and there's so much kind of i guess asian love for it in the sense because like i think one person slagged there was one influencer that slagged off the, the product saying like, I've, so weird. I've seen a few of those as well and yeah. I'd see people jump in just being like no you know you just it's just from a different culture you know you should go back to eating you know English food and, and <laughs> you know I think it's really great that everyone has our back and then on the on the flip side I think there are people that don't know Little Moons mm. was founded by kind of people with Asian heritage or yeah. who've been making watching for years so I think some people think Little Moons is a really whitewashed yeah uh kind of knock off of real mochi and that we're trying to rebrand mochi into little means yeah um so i've seen people say uh, the really authentic stuff is the one you get from asian supermarkets <laughs> and i'm like we also make that so um mm. but it's nice i mean it's all it's all part of the debate of course and i think like y- you can have both you can have that feeling of like this has been so successful but also like it also does hurt a little bit like I I know that um, so someone a British born Chinese person who I work with called Nicole she was the one she's 21 she's on TikTok all the time she was the one that showed me she was like have you seen Little Moons have like blown up on on TikTok and she she actually relayed an experience and she said like she was like I feel really conflicted about it like obviously it's amazing because I know it's owned by British born Chinese um people and it's great representation she's like but I've seen some videos of people being like I don't like this. This is really weird, like you said. And she was like, it just takes me back to feeling like I was in school and when you bring like a lunchbox into school and then your kids, the kids would be laughing at you having, I don't know, like noodles or something that's like smelly, for example. And it kind of like goes, oh, like I don't want you to like hate our food. Um, So it's like, but you can have both feelings, I think. I think both are still valid to have if, if anyone feels culturally kind of a little bit insulted when people don't like mochi I, I would encourage them to just like not worry about it because the reality is it is kind of a unique texture uh, even if you're asian you might find it a bit weird mm. um and it's kind of just people's natural reactions uh, and you know mm. you think back in the day people kind of used to sort of think it's really weird to use chopsticks mm. and now it's embarrassing if you can't really <laughs> use chopsticks and so 
times change and you know sushi was just the same mm. uh, ramen was the same and I actually think that this is a good thing to happen culturally like people realize that actually you can't really take the piss out of foods because yeah. they'll soon be like you know the it thing so yeah exactly exactly i mean hats off to to you all it's an amazing amazing success i want to i want to take it back you mentioned like how we got your first like i guess lucky break with yo sushi how did that come about then um how did it come about yeah so we went to a restaurant show um which is for like trade buyers and you meet a bunch of chefs and stuff like that and uh the sort of head chef at yo sushi kind of met us there mm-hmm and just really liked the product and then placed a huge order like a huge order for us at the time i think it's we sell stuff by pallets which are those wooden crates mm. and at the time our factory was too small to have one of those fit through the door so we had to like it was like an amazingly big order and we had to build it up outside and then borrow a forklift truck from our neighbors wow it all started off from there i guess yeah. mm. Did you at that point like take stock and be like, oh my fucking god, yo sushi? Like, were you just like, yeah, high five? Yeah, yeah, oh, um, yeah. yeah. We we thought it was amazing, um, but one of the things I guess Viv and I are both guilty of is that we don't really stop to celebrate success mm-hmm. that much, and um, always kind of like right onto the next thing. Or actually, this is also really stressful because because we've got this new scale, there's a whole new challenges. So totally always quite forward looking but lately we've been much more into kind of celebrating yeah. success and enjoying the moment and, and that kind of thing it is so hard to because so I, I run an, an influencer marketing agency and when I first this was over three years ago that I first started the business we didn't make I didn't make any money for a whole year yeah. nothing and then like when I got my first client I was like oh my god I got my first client it's 500 pounds the first deal was 500 pounds and I was like absolutely buzzing and then like the the first big break was when we first started working with Vista Print and that was like wow this is like a global client and since then we've worked with like TikTok we've worked with Manchester City Football Club uh, like loads of big brands and like at, like people have to remind me to take stock of that and be like look at what you've achieved from yeah. like having absolutely nothing. And I remember my mum having a go at me because I was like, mum, I'm so stressed because I've got no clients. And like, what if I, what if we don't, I think I was pitching for Vistaprint at the time. And I was like, what if I don't get it? And then yeah. um, she was like, <laughs> she's an immigrant mum. She was like, Viv, you came from nothing. Remember that. So if you have nothing again, you'll be absolutely fine. And I was like, you know what? That's a really good point, actually. <laughs> we did come that's, from nothing. That's nice. That's a really encouraging uh, mum you had. <laughs> yeah. I think mine, mine first few years, like um, Viv and I were obsessed with kind of branding, I guess. Mm. And um, I think we were kind of spending quite a lot of money just like faffing around like thinking what name to call ourselves and mm. there came a point because my mom was a fairly shrewd business person and she came in and was like okay I think it's time now that you stop sort of spending money on branding and and really focus on sales like where's the money <laughs> uh, so she's less encouraging but I guess guiding us in her own way did you think that was good advice though um, what um do you think? actually yeah so my yeah. mom's a role model for me um and mm. so even when she's kind of criticizing you like you, you don't really like to hear it mm, mm. but like deep down you're kind of like mm, you might have a point there so. yeah you know it's the truth you know it's yeah, the truth exactly. yeah because I, I guess like you know when you start any business you want it to be perfect but I think what I certainly learned is that nothing will ever be perfect the process the systems whatever it is whatever product is out there it will never be spot on um but you just have to just start doing it I think 
absolutely i think if that's one thing i've learned over the years is that like you can't just keep trying to perfect something before you like mm. launch it into the world or or sort of put it up on your website you have yeah. to just put it out and get on with it and absolutely you know the whole 80 20 rule is something that you, you know i definitely believe in what's the 80 20 rule the 80 20 rule is basically i think it's a theory that you can get 80 percent of the way there mm-hmm. um with 20 percent of the effort and the final 20 percent, like perfecting something takes like a lot of time and energy mm. and actually you should just sort of get to 80 and move on and move quickly and i think that is actually a good thing to do I, I really like that, actually, especially because I, I am not a, uh, I don't subscribe to being a perfectionist. I don't think I ever have been. I'm more of a, I guess, just do it and see what happens type nice. of person. And yeah. I don't know whether this like comes from being a, the children of immigrant parents where they pretty much did the same. Like my dad is, um, similar to you, my dad is my biggest inspiration. Like he take away life, like worked his whole life, the most hardworking person I've known ever, yeah. ever. Um, and like, um, he just launched straight into starting his own takeaway. Like, and I don't know how, I can't even imagine. And like, it's, it's very different because we work in like a very much like, uh, digital base as an agency so we i just have a laptop and internet and that's all i need whereas like when you think about like a bricks and mortar business buying all the stock and like learning how to make fucking loads of different types of recipes how how on yeah. earth i just don't yeah, I can't no, even imagine extremely similar experience to you you know parents mm. worked like absolutely crazy hours while raising kids and they didn't have computers back then i guess <laughs> writing out invoices by hand in yeah. chinatown in, yeah. in some sort of like invoice book yeah. collecting boxes and doing deliveries yeah uh, yes my god yeah. yeah crazy backbreaking work so do they still have the bakery now um yeah so my parents are retired now mm. um but uh we still run the bakery um mm. and supply to sort of asian grocery stores across mm. the yeah, amazing amazing um and in terms of you and your sister starting so she's also called viv as well which i love yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> How how is it working with your sister? Uh, it's a good question. Um, I guess that's evolved as well over time. Like we were really close uh, growing up, mm. and um, and then we started working together and we lived together at the same time, which um, as you yeah. can imagine, is pretty stressful. Yeah. So there's a period of time where we basically like couldn't stand the sight of each other's faces. <laughs> um and plus the business had like very little our team was really small so it was down to mm. us and everything and mm. loads of things fell down the cracks but, you know the bits that neither of us wanted to do and we blame <laughs> each other for not doing it because we thought the other person had it um, <laughs> so that was difficult but then um as the company's grown we've what we've realized is so we did these personality tests oh um, i love those types of tests yeah and they kind of it made us realize that we're basically mm. complete opposites to each other in the way we think Right. And also just like, you know, what our strengths and weaknesses are. Yes. And, that, and that's really helped us understand where we're coming from. And actually, um, it's like a great strength now because we've realized that so many decisions we made in the past are down to kind of us having different views and finally getting to some sort of compromise. And mm. it's worked really well in the end, actually. And now we sort of split the roles up really sort of separately. Mm. Um, and we have a bigger team. Um, it, it's working really well. <laughs> and I'm really glad to be able to sort of um, go on this journey with her. Mm. yeah so you have an office on one end of the corridor and she has one on the other <laughs> we're literally in different houses at the moment which is what works well <laughs> um so what would you say like your strengths are and weaknesses are versus hers and how do you complement each other in that way um i say i'm quite 
analytical and I guess, you know, I think I think about things quite a lot, um, quite strategic. Um, but she's she uses her gut a lot, which is often the right call. Um mm-hmm. to have mm-hmm. a feel for things. Um and she's I, I guess she's quicker to make decisions rather than umming and ahhing about different mm. things. And she, and she's also um really good at sort of thinking about what the team needs and um creating a nice culture in the company. So Yeah. Yeah, it's been good. That does sound like a brilliant balance actually, because I think um I think you, you need both. You really need both in order to to succeed. Um and it's great that you both um acknowledge each other's kind of weaknesses and strengths, because I think yeah. both are very important. Yeah. And we got there in the end. I mean we've been doing this for ten years now, so ten years. We finally uh sort of figured out how to work with each other do you talk about uh work when it comes to like family dinners for example does that does it come up um because our parents always used to do that uh we we've kind of tried to avoid doing that as much as we can Mm. um but obviously you know things still come up and when there's actually it's great when there's like amazing stuff happening like tiktok um Mm. you know we talk about it a lot and i kind of share that sort of share the news with like you know family and um, that's good but we try and avoid it if we can yeah I can imagine it being very difficult but um I mean again you have to share it because it's just incredible when, when did you um find out about the TikTok thing when, when was it first on your radar so for anyone for any listeners who who don't know basically basically it was a trend it's it's hashtag little moons isn't it the yeah the TikTok trend and then it was people who were predominantly white would you say who were discovering this for the first time yeah i, yeah. I guess um i guess it was like they're predominantly white i guess because one i guess the uk is still predominantly white but also if you're finding mochi for the first time now mm-hmm. um you probably aren't yeah. asian or yeah. you probably live in a city or town that doesn't have you know stuff that you know hasn't reached your town yet so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we only got into tesco like a year ago yeah amazing um and we it was about two weeks ago we had like a monday meeting and our um our marketing executive was like you know we've been getting tagged in quite a lot of tiktok videos like, we're like oh amazing we're like in 50 videos that's incredible great mm. stuff and then through the day de- through the days we're like all scrolling on tiktok and it was just mind-blowing just like more and more videos more mm. videos than we could actually get around to seeing yeah so when it hit kind of 15 million, I was, we were already like, this is incredible. This is the best thing that's ever happened to us. Um, you know, trying to get to the retailers to tell them to stock up. Um, mm-hmm. And then since then, it, it hasn't actually died down. Um, if anything, it's kind of accelerated. I think some people are getting a bit sick of seeing us on their TikTok, which is fair <laughs> enough. Because it is just videos of people going to Tesco and looking for um, looking for little moons. But, um, mm. but yeah, it's been really good. It's been really exciting. It is super, super exciting. And what are the the plans from from this in terms of obviously don't you need to tell us your marketing plans but what are the kind of like what do you hope to see from this um well well this is like an amazing gift for us so the Mm. challenge we've always had is getting people to you know know what mochi ice cream is um figure out the price know that it's in the freezer aisle like literally like basics like that you Mm -hmm. know amazing And, and tiktok's kind of been a way for people to describe how it tastes mm. um people see it they see the colors so now i guess we're just going to try and get into more and more supermarkets because i think one of the problems everyone has is they can't really find us because we're 
we're, we're in Tesco, but we're not in all of them. Mm. And um, we're also in Waitrose and Cardo, but that's still like a huge part of the population that isn't yeah. near that. So we're going to chat. We're going to focus on trying to get into those, and then at the same time, trying to just scale up production to meet that demand. Yes, amazing, amazing. Uh, were you a TikTok user beforehand? Did you frequent um, on there? Yeah, actually, like uh, I, I, I kind of. You know, I heard about it and I, I'm not typically someone that jumps straight onto new social media platforms, mm. but I, I tried it out partly because of the business. Um, mm. And I thought, actually, at first I thought it was for like teenagers and yeah. you know, too old for it, but actually it is really entertaining. Um, it is. And quite fun. It's like a massive productivity brain. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and since the whole TikTok phenomenon, then I'm now, I'm now TikTok's number one fan. I am not surprised that you are no. TikTok's number one fan after all of this. Fanning TikTok tattoo and everything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. Tattoo on your forehead. Why not? Yeah. With a mochi symbol as well. My yeah, mum will love that. <laughs> I know. Like, I, I, I thought the same. And it was only since we started actually working with them directly. So we worked with them, the TikTok team in china and then they tasked us they briefed us with um, a, an influencer campaign and then i was like looks like i've got to get on tiktok then spent yeah. hours on it absolutely hours and then now i just like yeah i go there to not be productive and to procrastinate and then two hours are gone and that's your day <laughs> um so in terms of your career so far what would you say has been the best moment so far I Honestly, the last two weeks have just blown oh. my Like, um, you know, it's been a long journey and we've had loads of stressful times. And I guess some of the things we've been most excited about are getting into Whole Foods for the first time because that was the first time mm. we were available in a supermarket. Amazing. Um, but it's kind of grown and we've been had loads of amazing moments. But this TikTok thing is kind of, I feel like it's a once in a lifetime <laughs> thing. It doesn't really happen often and... You know, I can't think of any other food brands where this has happened. So yeah. it's just literally been mind-blowing. Um, it's incredible. Like, this is a thing. I think loads of, like, marketing agencies and social media agencies sell to clients, like, we can make you go viral. But literally, that you cannot plan virality. I think that is the, the lesson here is, like, you... There is literally no way. If you'd have put this money behind this, you wouldn't have got this type of response, I don't think. But because yeah, it's so organic, it's so hard to guess what's gonna what's gonna go next. Really, mm. do you remember seeing the um, ocean spray cranberry juice TikTok craze that happened? It's more so in America. Um, I've heard of something like it. I, I, I've noticed the sort of the chalky milk craze. Chalky milk? Cra- what's that? Have you not seen it? It's like. No. Uh, kind of like a, a craze where something bad happens to you and mm. um, making yourself a chalky milk <laughs> kind of makes the problem go away it's like really, really funny just... is there a brand yeah. behind that at all i feel like I, I don't think there is but everyone seems to be using the same brand of of, of like cocoa powder I don't, I don't know what the brand is though so. oh it's an american thing yeah the the cranberry juice one it was so random it was this one guy he was like in his 40s he like some really cool dude on a on a skateboard um skateboarding whilst drinking this ocean spray cranberry juice um, and it was like a really cool i can't remember what the song was but it was a really cool song from that one video they sold out like of this ocean spray across the the u.s yeah i can imagine it's just yeah well you can imagine because you're living it right now i think i think the lesson is actually that like social media is the kind of one thing that and digital where which can like completely 
change the game beyond mm. anything in your imagination like you can you can spend money on kind of you know um about you know um out of home adverts or tv but this is just sort of i don't think there's anything else that can have that kind of impact yeah it's it's sensational it's absolutely sensational um what would be then just to just to bring it bring it down a bit what has been the most hardest or most challenging moment of your career so far ah the most hardest or challenging um so I think when I think when I was having all these like issues with my sister mm. I think that was really challenging because it, it got to the point where you know <laughs> she like we really had to work things out because you know we were kind of falling out over business which is never a good thing mm. that that was really tough um and I guess uh Brexit has been a massive challenge for us as well because mm. we export 50% of our stuff to Europe and um it's just been a complete minefield to navigate and you know we were making decisions on whether to move into a bigger factory or not and mm. that was a decision that was really hard to make uh with all the uncertainty mm. um but yeah i think we've been quite lucky actually there's never been any like soul destroyingly bad moments <laughs> there's no no like melted mochi vans just somewhere or oh there's plenty of that actually <laughs> you know you're shipping some stuff out to uh the uae and mm. it's kind of been left on a hot runway because oh, no. the paperwork's not right and you're just oh yeah, shit thousands of pounds down the drain you just <sighs> got to the chin yeah oh my gosh no i mean i mean both challenges sound you, you've got the proximity challenge of working with a sibling and then you've got the political challenge yeah. of owning a business that exports abroad as well so i can only imagine how difficult both must be i could not work with my siblings full stop i have a twin sister and an older sister um, and my me and my twin sister we're, we're extremely close but also can be each other's worst enemies at the same time <laughs> um are you guys too similar or are you quite different we are both we are both similar and we are both different it's really hard to describe actually <laughs> are you, are you um, identical twins we're non-identical and she's four minutes older um, and she's a teacher as well. So we, we work in quite different industries. Um, oh. But I think uh, I think, I think think uh, we just wouldn't work well together. So, I mean, it's amazing that t- 10 years of you both working together and you're both still thriving clearly, which is great to see. What's one bit of advice that you'd give to anyone wanting to start their own business? Like one golden nugget. One golden nugget. Um... Well, I don't know. I, I think I think I think at the early stages, um, you know, really interrogate your business plan of, and make sure it's something that people want before you kind of like drop everything. Um, but then mm. I guess other tips, other things I'd, I'd say are one: if you can, it's really nice to have a co-founder um, because you go through like lonely times, um, and being able to talk to someone uh, as a co-founder is really handy. So I'd, I'd really encourage that if you can. And secondly, um, I think our business took a kind of step change in growth when we started getting kind of external help. And I don't mean in funding. I kind of just mean um, we got a non-executive director who'd kind of done this all before with another brand, like loads of experience. And um, I'm not saying all of them are good, but you have to pick one that you get on with and you think can really add value. But, you know, that's really handy. And I didn't I didn't know anything about that. But, you know, when I was starting off the business, I didn't even know these kind of advisors mm. existed. So yeah, that's that's another tip. Yeah, I mean, like that's something that um, you feel like it's so. I feel like it, that is so unobtainable to get. So it feels very like corporate 
to get something like a non-exec director yeah. um but actually like um but actually they do exist within my company as well so i have investors on board and we have people like that who and it's very much like they just they've done it all before they've yeah. worked on businesses before and you just go to them and go i'm really worried about i don't know xyz like literally today i was having a meeting about forecasting for the year and how there's like there's gaps within the year that we need to fill and like how do we fill those gaps and actually just hearing the advice or even just reassurance from someone who's done it before is is really nice um yeah, definitely because i think i don't know about your your kind of family business but historically my parents did everything themselves and yes. they didn't go out and get advice from people or network in the industry you know mm. it's a lot harder for them and um i think that that's something that we've learned over time is just how much people network and even if it's not a formal ned like you know people can be quite friendly and helpful often yeah, and yeah. just give you advice and it's good, it's good to get that absolutely i think networking is one of the number one tips that I would give to someone who asked me that question because even though it might not be fruitful initially there's always something further down the line and it is all about establishing those relationships with people um I think I think that's my parents were similar uh they definitely they employed staff obviously um and they had like other I guess relatives to learn from etc but in terms of like that wider community you know there's so many like there's so many Chinese takeaways even in Warrington there were so many but yet they yeah. wouldn't exist they wouldn't talk to one another um, and yeah, yeah. so they were very much siloed in their own business you know this is like this is my territory and this is your territory but actually probably they could have learned a lot from each other and like I'm seeing now more like British born Chinese or Eastern Southeast Asian businesses from our generation where there is that community and collaboration and i think yeah. that is really powerful in itself um definitely i definitely agree about the co-founder thing as well um i had a co-founder on board at one point it didn't work out um but definitely agree that having if you find the right one yeah. having having someone um just to bounce ideas off can be really helpful because it, it is quite a lonely space i think to exist i think do people do people think that you like your lifestyle is quite as an entrepreneur is like quite um like glamorous is that that perception uh, i think after the whole tiktok thing uh people are like oh yeah you have the most amazing like i think one of my friends said have you just like could you share the uh the cheat codes for 2021 which i found <laughs> funny uh, but, like i think in the early days like people saw that it was pretty a long slog you know going in on a saturday to help with deliveries or going in on a Sunday evening to kind of do stuff so I think you know early on when you don't have a team around you it's not that glamorous but um mm. now I'm, I actually think um reach a stage where it's so much easier than it was before yeah so, me in that stage. so your your role now what is it like now compared to like what's your day-to-day -day kind of like responsibilities um, so I take care of creating demand and my sister's in charge of supply and mm. so I'm, I'm I'm looking at sales and marketing mm. Um, and I have like amazing kind of head of sales and head of marketing who I kind of, who, who, who's kind of like reporting to me and they're both way better at their jobs than I am. Mm. Than I would get. And that's, that's an amazing thing to sort of be able to sort of hire people who are, who are great. Yeah. The old cliche of like hiring better than you are, than, you know, smarter than yes, you are. Yes, definitely. Um, so that's really amazing. Um, mm. and yeah, it's cliche, but I think running a business to me is just constant problem solving. There's like always challenges and things you need to figure out, which um, 
is part of the fun and also kind of the nightmare of it when there's just things that you like there's no solution to this it's like things are going to go wrong mm. um so yeah uh, that's kind of my role these days and I, obviously I'm doing it from home so it's kind of quite weird yeah I know I know like um how are you finding that working from home um I'm finding it quite nice actually like uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky enough to have like a spare room to mm. be in the office and initially I was working in the sort of open plan sitting room and it really wasn't working with like uh, my girlfriend Mecky kind of overhearing everything I'm talking about. I like, literally couldn't focus. But we got <laughs> we got a lockdown puppy, which has also been <gasps> a good thing. yeah, that's been <gasps> amazing. So kind of have an excuse to go out to go for walks, mm. and I think that's what everyone kind of needs to do when you're sitting in front of the screen for hours every day. Oh, absolutely! Like I feel like that we have to make allowances that we're not going to be as productive as we are in an office setting. Because in office setting, you can like have like water cooler chat and like you just like have banter around the office. Whereas like okay. literally, I have these four walls to banter with, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Plus, I'm on Zoom, um, yeah. and then that's a whole other thing of like being on Zoom all the time as well. It's just absolutely tiresome. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um so lockdown puppy sounds amazing oh i'm yeah. so jealous i'm so jealous yeah, we actually joked the other day with my um my korean friend and we were saying how um a puppy should almost be kind of mandatory for every kind of bbc or asian <laughs> and their parents to like open the open their emotions up to kind of <laughs> unconditional love and stuff that's so like you know alien to us i mean <laughs> That is so funny. Like, summarizing everyone but yeah, my mum actually used to sort of hate um the idea of any pets <laughs> and since saying. getting I, I think both uh Viv and I both mm. got dogs mm. and she she got a dog actually years ago and it's actually really changed my mum and uh, so yeah I actually would encourage all British Asians to get a dog that that might be the name of the podcast you know yeah get a dog all British Asians yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? That's actually fucking brilliant advice. We should tell like um, British Asian therapists to start prescribing that to their patients or their clients. Totally. Although I might get a lot of hate mail when people wonder why they're kind of walking around parks, following around their dog just to pick up its poop, which I, uh, I think, like, what am I doing? But it, it's Oh, fine. yeah, I'm not down for that, to be honest. I'm not down yeah. for that. Is there anything else that you'd like to say or promote before we sign off, before I ask you the final, final question? Uh, obviously I'm going to do a shameless plug for Little Moons go uh, for it. Haven't tried it it's, it's the best mochi ice cream in the world it is um, and uh, yeah just uh, just to say I'm supporting like what you, you're doing like your podcast and uh, it's really good work oh, thank you so much uh, final question Howard to end the podcast rice or noodles which one would you pick if you had to pick one for the rest of your mm. life um, well my brother-in-law says no rice no life but <laughs> um i love noodles i can't get enough of them and uh instant noodles are my guilty guilty pleasure so uh i'd have to pick noodles team noodles i'm team noodles as well like i i I love rice there is a definitely a place for rice but like noodles like there's just so much variety yeah exactly i mean you know they're both really good but noodles yeah yeah. totally instant noodles are also what i usually have for lunch most days yeah, you got to be. I think the healthier versions coming out. Um, but yeah, when I discovered they were deep fried, it was kind of a sad day for me. <laughs> yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know what? I kind of don't care though. I'm like, I grew, I've grown up eating this, and I've turned out okay. I'm going to carry yeah. on. It's okay. Have you tried the um, the Nissin like premium packs of noodles that you can get? Um, and they're like 
actually. They're like really expensive. They're like two pound eighty or something for a two two portion pack of noodles, and it's meant to it's meant to replicate ramen, but at home. And they have like black garlic fa- flavor, spicy tonkatsu flavor. It's it's so good, so good. <laughs> well. Thank you so much, Howard, for coming on to But Where Are You From and for speaking with us. We appreciate it. And congratulations on all the work so far with Little Moons. We're really excited to see more of what's to come. Cool. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) Thank you.